You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans who are listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. To get this show every day, follow us wherever you get your podcast. You can also tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Mets. On today's show, going to talk about the first series sweep since Mother's Day. The Mets had not swept the series in months, but they finally did. They get all three from the Nationals. Sweeping the doubleheader on Thursday. I'll talk about that in the first segment of today's show. Then in the final two segments, I was joined by one of our social media coordinators, Jordan Grossman, to debut a new segment we're going to be doing, the Friday Farm Report, where Jordan will go through the minor league system with me and talk about some of the prospects you should keep an eye on. We also, in the third segment, preview this upcoming series against the Los Angeles Dodgers. But before we get to any of that, I'm your host, Ryan Ficklestein. If you want to find any of my work, Follow me on Twitter at Ryan. You can also follow the show at LockedOnMets. So the New York Mets found a way to beat the Washington Nationals. And we could be cynical and say, hey, it's Washington outside of Juan Soto. Who on that team even matters? And it is a really bad baseball team. But you got to beat bad baseball teams. And last week, we saw what happens when you don't beat bad baseball teams. When the Mets let the Marlins take three of four, which then spiraled into a series sweep against the Phillies. And suddenly, after owning this division all year in first place, the Mets ended up falling all the way down to third. So this was important. You can't take these games for granted, and the Mets did. They got the sweep. At times, it didn't look great in the first game. It was a back-and-forth affair. In the final game, they almost let it slip away. I don't think all the problems are solved, but it's a step in the right direction, and that is a huge positive for a Mets team that was reeling going into this series. Marcus Stroman took the ball for game one against Washington in this doubleheader. He was excellent through the first five, allowed just one hit, walked one, had seven strikeouts. In the sixth, he ran into some trouble, walked the leadoff batter, gave up a pair of hits that ultimately scored a run. He stayed on to face Alcides Escobar and got a big strikeout before handing it off to Aaron Loop with Juan Soto coming up. Loop ends up pitching around Soto and then gets a big double play ball against Josh Bell for the season now. Loop has a 1.19 ERA, which is ridiculous, and it's made even more impressive when you look back to May 22nd. Since then, in 29 appearances, he has a 0.34 ERA. You can make the argument he's been the Mets' best reliever this year. You can make the argument he's their best offseason signing. He has been that good. Now, the Mets got offense in that first game off the bat of Brandon Nimmo, who hit a three-run homer. He later had an RBI single in the fourth inning. So all four RBIs credited to Nimmo. And in the game, you had Nimmo, Conforto, J.D. Davis, and Dominic Smith all have multi-hit games. Everyone except Pete in the starting lineup, including Marcus Stroman, got a hit. Stroman had another drag bunt single, something we've seen him do a couple of times this year now. So that's been pretty impressive. You look at it all together, a 4-1 to win seemed very easy. Loop to Diaz. Diaz gets the save, and the Mets are able to to get the series victory before they even played the nightcap or the late afternoon game, as it were, in this doubleheader. 
Trevor Williams started for game two, his Mets debut, after getting traded over at the deadline with Javi Baez. I'm calling it the Trevor Williams trade. That's how good he was in the first four innings. But really, what did he do? He threw strikes against a bad Nationals team, a Nationals team that was probably trying to get out of there, only needed 46 pitches to get through four scoreless. In the bottom of the fourth, the Mets got a run as Michael Conforto hit a double, and then J.D. Davis doubled as well. Davis came around to score later on in that inning. Jonathan VR got a base hit, moved to the third, and then he scored on a ground out by James McCann. So the Mets had a 2-0 lead. Trevor Williams ends up running into trouble in that fifth inning. Seth Lugo bails him out. Lugo bridges the gap to Trevor May. The Mets get some insurance runs as Jonathan VR hit a two-run homer in the bottom of the sixth. Once again, it's 4-1. So here you go. A pair of 4-1 victories to close out this series. Nice and easy, no problems. Mets handle business against a really bad team. That's not what happened because this Mets team is not without questions. They are still a team that you're not confident in, and they came really close to throwing this game away. Trevor May had a rough outing. He's been very good as of late. I'm not going to criticize him pitching on back-to-back days. This team, once again, has a tax bullpen, goes out, ends up giving up two hits to start the inning, gets a strikeout, but then walks Gerardo Parra to load the bases. Jerry's Familia comes in. He ends up getting a pop out, ends up having a wild pitch, which advances the runners to the scoring position. There's another play where Jeff McNeil isn't able to get to a ground ball that wasn't hit very hard. It squeaks through into the outfield. McNeil really should have tried to just go all out and make sure he kept that ball in the infield, knowing the tying run could come around to score. He did not. It gets by him. Game's tied. Familia ends up getting you out of the jam before losing the lead entirely. But you're thinking, here we go again with this Mets team. And then what happens in the bottom of the inning? Pete Alonso hits a huge home run as 25th of the season. The Mets get the walk-off victory. And I tweeted this out. If you told me with all the information that I could trade a blown save for the feeling of a Pete Alonso walk-off homer, I'd take it. But the anxiety that led up to it, was not great for Mets fans, or I'm sure for the team itself. But when it's all said and done, you got the sweep. And that's what matters here. It's about winning series. And when you're playing a bad team like Washington, it's about sweeping series. The one big takeaway I have overall, the Mets were 8 for 29 with runners in scoring position this series. That's a 275 batting average. Against Philly, they were 1 for 11. That's right, 1 for 11. And as bad as that is when it comes to their average with runners in scoring position, The more shocking thing is in a three-game series, they only had 11 runners in scoring position against the Phillies. That is brutal. In this series, the Mets had a lot more traffic on the bases. They had 35 hits in the three games. They were in double digits when it comes to hits in each contest. That is a good sign for things to come, hopefully, although against the Dodgers, things will get a lot tougher, a lot better pitching you're going to face over the weekend. We'll talk about that in the final segment. But first, our Friday Farm Report with Jordan Grossman. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Did you know they have so many delicious flavors to choose from that there really is something for everyone, whether it's the coconut bar, cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, or my personal favorite, cookies and cream. There is really a flavor for everyone. If you want, you can get the mixed box where you'll get two of each so you can try them all, see what you like the best. These are protein bars that taste like candy bars. They come covered in 100% chocolate, they're soft, they're easy to chew, and they're healthy. Built Bars come low in calories, low in sugar, 
but they are high in protein and high in fiber. If you want to try Built Bar today, go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCK15, 15% off at BuiltBar.com. So very excited to be joined today by Jordan Grossman, one of our social media coordinators. And this is the start of a new weekly segment, the Friday Farm Report. I'll be honest, sometimes it's tough for me to keep tabs on everything. So I got Jordan here to go through the minor leagues here. And we want to talk a little bit about some of the great pitchers that have been having some solid seasons for the Mets right now. One of them is Eric Orsi. What do you think about Eric Orsi as a guy that can really factor into this team at some point? Maybe next year. Who knows? It seems like he's had a pretty solid season. So the thing about Ors is that he's Ors. Really See, there you go. Cool. This is why I had Ors. you on. Ors, yeah. not Orsi. Yeah. There he is. <laughs> so he has a really cool story. Um, ben Pickman of SI wrote a really great article on his on his journey up to the majors a couple of years back. Um, Ors has battled cancer twice in the last three years, I believe. Um, he's had skin cancer and then another type of cancer. And it's why his numbers at, uh, I think it was New Orleans, he pitched. He, they weren't so great, but the Mets obviously saw something there to take him in the fifth round. Um, he's a reliever right now, but he's got a really, really good splitter. Like I've heard 60, 65 grade on that splitter from some people that I've talked to. Um, the fastball doesn't really uh, – play up that much but he he hides it well it's like 92 to 95 uh slider is not really it's average pitch but uh the splitter is really where he gets the most action and it's where he it's it's, it's a strikeout pitch so he's someone i'm really impressed by i think he's a major leaguer right right now you could put him in a major league bullpen um but obviously you want to get him the seasoning in triple a um and Mets obviously have a lot of good relievers in the bullpen but, yeah, he's someone I'm really looking forward to eventually seeing in the major leagues. I think that anytime you have a pitcher that has a good splitter, it plays so well out of the bullpen. I think last year we saw with Chase and Shreve, if you can really command that pitch, if you can get it over for a strike but also bury it, it's really tough for batters to pick up. So that's really an interesting option. I think the one thing the Mets have struggled with is developing relief pitchers. I mean, Drew Smith is probably – their best success for story of the last what a couple of years here. I can't think of many others that have come in and really you know, had a lot of success out of the minors. I'm, I'm trying to think of another name that really jumps out to me. Other than guys like Paul Sewald, who suddenly turned into a closer elsewhere. Uh, there's just not a lot. So maybe this is a guy Ors, not Orsi, Ors, who has a chance here. What about uh, Josh Walker? What are you seeing with him? So Josh Walker, I've seen some people put a reliever profile on him, but I think he's a starter. Um, he's a guy who's kind of rised up the ranks like Tyler McGill did. Uh, I'm not going to say he's the same kind of pitcher as McGill. He's more of a control guy, whereas McGill has started to develop like 95, 96, whereas Walker is throwing in the 90 to 92 range. Um, but like I said, really strong control. Um, let me just pull up some stats here. He's got, um, it's actually pretty cool. He was a 37th round pick in his 2017 draft out of division two ball which is just like if he makes the majors alone and like pitches like one inning, that's still a major success for a guy who was picked so late in the draft. Making it to uh, triple A success, honestly. I mean, yeah, yeah. Those guys are long shots. Those guys a lot of time. I mean, now they don't even have that many rounds anymore, right? Now we're at 20 rounds. 
Now we're at 20. Yeah, MLB's decided to cut it by a little bit. Um, it's kind of like, the the, kinda like Piazza. You know, Piazza was drafted. He, no one will ever make the Hall of Fame at, at a later round than Mike Piazza because there's not oh, yeah. many rounds anymore. Yeah, I, I forget. Right drafted now. guy. I mean, I guess that's still, still a chance. Fatigia Rivera makes the Hall of Fame one day, maybe, but. <laughs> I know uh, I know Seth Lugo. I don't know what, what the exact round was, but he was like a late 20s, early 30s yeah. draft pick. Um, so that's an, like the, the Mets, I guess, have a pretty good knack for that, drafting relievers in the late rounds. Uh, McGill, like I just mentioned, he's an eighth round pick. DeGrom, obviously, ninth round. We all know that story. Um, but Walker, um, he's, pro- I mean, he's maybe he's a fifth, sixth starter type. Um, he has a good curveball, some pretty good shape on it. Um, the fastball is also average to like maybe uh, plus, but. Had a rough first start in Syracuse for 4.1 innings, eight earned runs. But since then, he's thrown 15 consecutive scoreless innings. And it's only 18 total walks and 84 innings across three levels in the minors this year. So, like I said, really strong control. And uh, someone that could be a, 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 maybe a depth arm next season. Yeah, I think that you, know, you just talk about what would be a success story for him. The fact is, if he can be a Corey Oswald type, there's value in that. As much as some people will say Corey Oswald's not good, there's value in having someone that can go back and forth and can give you some bulk innings at times. And, you know, yeah, that might not ever be a fixture in your rotation, but next year, if this guy's added to the 40, the Mets are going to rely on that at some point next season. So that's really important. We got one last pitcher, Jose Budo. What do you see from him? So Buto is a guy who also is a pretty cool um, – if he got to the majors since the Mets signed him as an international free agent in 2017 for only $5,000, which is wow. pretty crazy. Um, Buto was spent most of the year in Brooklyn, but he was recently promoted to Binghamton, uh, has a 2.35 ERA in his first four starts there. 29 strikeouts to the only three walks and 23 innings pitched. So like Walker, he's got pretty good control. But when we're talking about repertoire, you have to mention the changeup with Buto. That's his money pitch. It's got – Terrific downward action, really fools hitters around 82 to 84 miles per hour. Uh, fastball is good too, but um, it's not close to his to his uh, to his change. It, it, the problem with Buto really is the he doesn't really have a third pitch. Um, he's worked on a curveball a little bit. The Mets have tried to incorporate a two seamer as well, but he hasn't really thrown it in games too much. So I'd like to see a third pitch develop at some point in the offseason, and then maybe he's the guy you could look at also in 2022. Is uh, he's he has a higher ceiling than those other two guys I mentioned. You know, Buto. If everything pans out, he could be like maybe a, a mid rotation starter. But uh, yeah, that that changeup is absolutely nasty. Yeah, and if you have a good changeup and you can work off a of fastball, got some hope there as a starting pitcher. Maybe uh, we'll see what happens with Buto. We'll see what happens with all of these guys. I think as we're kind of figuring out what to do with this segment, I think each week we should talk about one of the top guys. Everyone cares about Beatty Alvarez. Mauricio let's talk about Brett Beatty I actually wrote a piece for just baseball that went up today talking about the hole at third base has been left ever since David Wright had the spinal stenosis diagnosis and the thing that was pretty fascinating to me was going through the draft history the Mets have only selected since 2002 nine players in the first 10 rounds that are third basemen and it wasn't until Mark Vientos in 2017 that they drafted even someone as high as the second round the only third baseman that graduated, by the way, since David Wright from the top 10 rounds is, can you guess? I should actually those that too. Can you guess? There's two of them. 
I can't remember if Campbell was drafted by the Mets. You got uh, it. I'm, I'm going to guess him. Yeah, there we go. Eric Campbell, eighth-round pick, and I think it was 2008. The ground ball machine. And then there's, one, there's another kind of a ground ball machine, someone who was a utility infielder for the Mets that uh, didn't really amount to much, but he was around for a little bit there. I believe he was a uh, third-round pick, actually. Stumped? Yeah, I can't think of anybody right now. Matt Reynolds. Matt Reynolds. Oh, man, I actually saw his first career home run against the Royals back in, uh, I think, 2014, 2015, whenever he came up. Maybe yeah, 2016, he was actually. for a while there. That's all they produced, though. That's all they produced at third base since David Wright. It's Eric Campbell wow. and Matt Reynolds. So that really tells you, you know, what <laughs> – what this this farm system has been when it comes to third baseman, it makes sense. You have a franchise guy there. Why would you be drafting third baseman? But now we're finally starting to see two guys in Vientos and Beatty who are rising through the farm system. And I think Beatty seems right now like the more can't miss of the two where it seems like he can really contribute both ways, maybe defensively and obviously the bat. Oh, yeah. I think Beatty has clearly established himself this year as the number two prospect in the system behind Francisco Alvarez. Uh, he had a bit of a rough start at double a i think the first 10 games he only had uh five hits and was striking out a lot but i want to i want to read the numbers to everyone here just see how impressive it was i just tweeted out actually over his last 15 games he is hitting 351 with a 427 on base and 684 slugging so he's and he just just tonight he hit uh he went four for five with two home runs and a double so he's really he's found his groove over in Binghamton, um, the power to all fields is so impressive. Uh, really good at controlling the strike zone, and I think something that impresses me the most about him is he's really slimmed down in the off season and worked on his defense a good amount. That um, his range has improved. I think when I first saw him get drafted, is nothing more than a first base DH type, but now I see him pretty clearly established as a third baseman. Um, Vientos, you mentioned, like he's also a really good bat, but no one really knows where he's going to be defensively. So, like I said, Beatty, clearly the number two prospect in the system behind Alvarez. And I think he's a guy who can have an impact on the major league team as early as the all star break next season. Yeah, I think so too. And I think the question, as, as we kind of allude to there, is what is he going to be defensively? Because we've seen like Alec Bohm for the, the Phillies. We just saw him. Mean, he's a train wreck right now defensively. Obviously, we've watched J.D. Davis up close. So I think that's the thing is can you at least be average, right? You don't have to be a gold glover, but can you not detract from your offense by starting every day at third base? And I think for the first time since David Wright, the Mets might have a chance here to have a legitimate stud prospect come up and play third base for them every day, and that's really exciting to think about. It, it definitely is. You know, like you said with Wright, like we haven't really had a guy established at the position. So many people wanted a Chris Bryant at the deadline uh, to play third base next to Francisco Lindor. But when you have a guy like Beatty who's just soaring through the system, I think he's only 22 years old right now, maybe 21. Um, I think he's, he's someone still 21. That I think they're both yeah, still 21. Yeah, Vientos and Beatty are on the same age. Um, he's someone you can have team control for six years, relatively cheap price. Um, I'm not trying to sound like this is the Wilpon Mets, but like, you know, when you have that kind of a talented prospect who can come up and be an impact bat right away, um, it's it's something special and it's something the Mets really need as people can see like the offense has really struggled in the last couple of weeks. And uh, having Beatty sometime next year could really, could really help.
Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Whether you want to do some live betting during games, maybe you want to bet player props like Pete Alonso hitting a home run, they have you covered with everything you could want, whether it's for Major League Baseball, the NFL, but only even has awards TV shows and reality TV with real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the new scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with our promo code Locked On. Again, that's promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Do you love to order fish when you go out to eat but never make it for yourself at home? Cooking restaurant-quality dishes at home starts with high-quality seafood and simple techniques from Wild Alaskan Seafood. Wild Alaskan Company delivers high-quality, sustainably-sourced, wild-caught seafood right to your door. Each shipment contains premium, wild-caught, individually-wrapped portions of delicious seafood that's ready to prepare and easy to cook. Wild Alaskan Company seafood is how nature intended it to be. Always wild, never farmed or modified, and it contains no antibiotics. You can adjust, pause, or cancel your membership anytime, and they offer 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. And right now, you can get $15 off your first box of premium seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com slash MLB. That's wildalaskancompany.com slash MLB for $15 off your first box. wildalaskancompany.com slash MLB. Make sure to use our URL and let them know that we sent you. Now, speaking of getting some instant offense, and this this will kind of transition us into previewing this series against the Dodgers, the Mets traded Billy McKinney to get Carlos Rincon. So before we talk about that series, I do want to talk about this prospect because this was a guy that he's 23, hits for some power in the Dodgers farm system. Just an interesting guy you get for what was essentially a DFA trade, but he's tearing the cover off the ball since he got to the Mets. So is there some potential of seeing a Carlos Rincon this year? Maybe I guess if there was September call-ups, that would be a little bit more more likely. He's not on the 40, I don't believe. So I guess that would probably give him less of a chance. But what has he done since he came to the Mets? I guess I should ask. Yeah, so I'm going to admit I don't know a ton about him. Like he really came over and was just – I thought he was just another guy. I was like a DFA trade, um, kind of brushed it over. But when you look at the numbers of the last 18 games, he's hitting 329 with a 364 on-base percentage and a 616 slugging which is really impressive. And then you look at his total numbers this year in double A, he played um, I believe 60 to 65 games with the Dodgers uh, over there. He has an H 53 OPS. So he's a legit dude. He's only 23 years old. Um, I don't know too much about the defense, but you know, this is a guy who could be, could, could be a bat that surprises us. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to say he's a starter, but maybe he's a guy who can see being a fourth outfield type. And well, you, you, like you said, Here's the thing. If he sneaks into your top 30 prospects at the end of this season and you got him for Billy McKinney, that's a huge win. Billy McKinney. I mean, that, that, that's the guy that people wanted uh, to start over Michael Conforto in the foreseeable right. future. They were letting, willing to let Conforto walk for those two weeks when he was killing the Orioles. <laughs> that's exactly right. I think that's what we should, we should move into talking about this series because Billy McKinney getting a lot of run with the Dodgers, surprisingly, today let us all down. Bases loaded against the Phillies. Two to one game, Ian Kennedy. This is not a lockdown closer. I'm sorry. He's good, having a very nice year, but come on, it's Ian Kennedy. And Billy McKinney can't get a base hit for Mets fans. 
can't give us one last parting gift. And you know what's going to happen now? Over under two and a half home runs this weekend. I might set, set that at the over. I don't know. Billy McKinney, oh. come back to City Field. This is what happens. Come on. You, you've seen this story play out. He's, he's going to hit a couple into that Coca-Cola corner. I, I yep. can already envision it. He's going to take um, McGill deep twice uh, in this first game. Um, let's go through the pitching matchups here. You got Julio Urias uh, versus Tyler McGill on, on Friday night. Urias has a 3-4-1 ERA this year, 13-3. and Not that we really care about records anymore. 144 strikeouts. A guy that I think has really struggled against the Mets throughout his career. But this is a left-handed starter and a good one. And we know the Mets have not fared well against lefties. So th- that's definitely going to be a tough one for the Mets. It only gets harder when you have Walker Bueller with his 2-1-3 ERA and 152 strikeouts against Taiwan Walker on Saturday. And then Sunday, the Mets got Carlos Carrasco. That's great. But it's going against Mad Max Scherzer. So when I lay out those pitching matchups to you, Feel pretty good the Mets got both of these games in this doubleheader and they could maybe get away with just winning one against the Dodgers and still having a pretty solid week all together. Yeah, I'll just say this. I'm really glad they swept this series and they didn't blow that last game. Thank Pete Alonso for that walk-off home run because I- I'm not one to be pessimistic. You know, I always try to be the most optimistic guy when it comes to the Mets. Um, but this is the Dodgers. And like you just listed those those matchups. Um, it's going to be really hard score runs especially with this team that's struggled for offense um they had a nice series against the nats but they don't really have any legit pitchers anymore at least ones that are functional um it's it's gonna be difficult but i'm hopeful the the black jerseys bring out a little energy you know bring the la versus new york whole rivalry thing even though it's not really rivalry but like it's kind of cool every year this when the dodgers come to to new york so it'll be i think i think Friday night, they have a good chance of victory, especially with Urias on the mound. That's probably the least of their concerns when it comes to the pitching matchups. Uh, McGill's had a nice year. You know, we've talked about him a couple of times, especially in that green room. Um, but yeah, I'm ho- I'm hopeful about Friday, but those other two games, I don't know. You know, it's it, it doesn't look great. I, I mean, okay, I think we were talking about this before we hit record, but I mean, you have Cody Bellinger is is struggling to crack the top five in that lineup. Uh, at least you miss Mookie Betts. I guess that's that's one one little tiny positive is that Mookie Betts is on the IL, so that's that's one less superstar to deal with. But Trey Turner, we know how he plays against the Mets. He's leading. You see that slide? That, that slide I saw that part? was that was that, that was a hobby bias slide. It's crazy. I, I mean, I think at times we don't realize how athletic these guys are, and Trey Turner, I mean, as athletic as they come. So yeah, I, I look at this series against the Dodgers and. If the Mets were to win, let's just be optimistic for a second. Let's take off the, the pessimism that just just is natural for Mets fans. If the Mets found a way, and if the Mets play their best brand of baseball, you can always beat anybody. So let's just say Tyler McGill has a great start. The Mets bullpen has been very solid. The Mets find a way to get some runs against Urias. You win one. You have to win one of those next two games. It's possible. If they end up beating the Dodgers after sweeping the Nationals, I think people are going to look a lot differently at the Mets on Monday as opposed to what they looked like at the end of last week. Absolutely. I mean, but this is only – the thing is I agree with you, but also this is the start of a 13-game stretch with just the Dodgers and the Giants, the two top teams in the West. So it's going to this, – this stretch I think right now is going to make or break their season because after this stretch it's a, it, things get a bit easier, a lot of games against the Marlins and the Nationals. So 
I'm actually going to be in LA next week for the Dodgers series with the Mets. So I'm hopeful. Yeah, I'm hopeful. You know, I don't really want to go to Dodger stadium for the first time with the Mets in third place and like that and just getting heckled all night. So I'm really hopeful to pull together some wins. Worst case scenario, there's no shame in not wearing a Mets jersey. There's no shame. You know, just wear a plain black T-shirt. I gotta wear a hat or something, man. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta rep the squad. A hat's smart though, because you can just change sections and take that hat off and just kind of like tuck it in your back pocket. (laughs) It gets bad. Uh, Yeah. So I think uh, it'll be. And the one thing to to mention as we talk about going out west, that's what makes this series more important, is because the Mets have been so much better at City Field this year. So this is your best shot, probably to get some games against these West Coast teams that you're about to play that are just ridiculously good. I mean, the Giants, it's going to be interesting to preview that series when we get there because it's going to be fun to dig into the numbers and figure out how they're doing this. But they are, I think, Giants, it's 31 games over, something ridiculous. Like They don't make sense to me. I still do not believe that they're a first-place team. I just – they're they're you know, Farhan is a great baseball mind, and I'm not going to doubt his talents as a GM. Uh, or president, I, I don't know what his official title is, but what they're doing this year is it's unbelievable. Yeah, no, it is, it is, and so we'll see what happens. I think the Mets got a decent shot this weekend, as long as you don't read into those pitching matchups too much because they might scare you. Uh, I, I know for the YouTube audience, they can see your Twitter handle on the page. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find your work for the podcast audience? So you can find me at Mets Fans since '02. Uh, and you can also find I run a fan page over on Facebook called We Are Mets Believers. I uh, have a lot of fun running that page. And, yeah, that's where most of my stuff is at right now. All right. He'll be back with us, if not next week, the week after to do because he's going to be in L.A., but he'll be back to do this segment moving forward, our Friday Farm Report. Thanks for joining me today. That's going to be all for today's edition of Locked on Mets. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, at Finkelstein Ryan. Follow the show, at Locked on Mets. And if you don't want betting to be a guessing game anymore, check out the new Locked on Bets podcast. Hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, Locked on Bets gives you your daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. So follow the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get podcasts.